Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. We're going to continue in the prayers that Paul has for the saints at Philippi. That's the historical reference, but we understand that Jesus Christ makes intercession for us at the right hand of the Father. He ever liveth to make intercession. And so this is the prayer of Jesus Christ for us. He is praying these prayers for us. He says in Philippians uh, chapter 1, And this I pray, verse number 9, And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. Now, if that prayer just sounded to you like la, 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 uh, I understand. Because we're taught to pray God is good, right? God is great. God is good and things like that. And those things are true. But if you're going to grow as a Christian, you need to start increasing in your knowledge. The Apostle Paul was a wiry little guy, in in my mind at least. Uh, I don't know that he was an imposing figure, but I know he was a fighter. He was probably uh, he was probably like a flyweight or a bantamweight. I don't know, maybe uh, maybe a featherweight. He was not a big, powerful man, but he did a lot of fighting with letters that he wrote. Uh, the, the people there at Corinth said his letters say they are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. We have to be careful in 21st century America, especially those of us that have been saved for any length of time, that we equate spirituality with good speaking and dynamic personalities. Because Paul did not have a dynamic personality. The Bible says that his speech was contemptible. In other words, he may have spoken with a lisp. He he may have halted when he spoke. But when he wrote, he was a powerhouse. His letters were weighty. He, He was a heavyweight when it came to writing letters. But what's Something else that Paul did that goes beyond just what he wrote. In other words, helping believers by disseminating the word of God. There's something else that was very powerful, and that was his prayer life. His prayer life was weighty and powerful. And it was because he prayed prayers like this. He said, I'm praying that your love may abound yet more and more. He's not praying that they would begin to love but that they, they would, their love would continually overflow and that it would be an intelligent love and a decisive love. True love is not ambivalent. True love decides. In fact, true love is something that a person decides to do. It's not something necessarily that a person always feels. Hollywood is wrong. Disney is wrong on that. You can actually feel that something is right, and it's not right. It's actually the opposite of that. You can decide to love even when you don't feel like loving. Why? It's called obeying. It's called, it's called choosing to obey God. You can decide. You can decide to love your spouse. But here, he says, I pray that your love may abound yet more and more, and, and that their love would overflow in, in knowing more and doing better. The natural result of this intelligent, decisive love is that they would approve things that are excellent. 
Notice in verse number 10, he's praying. Notice the semicolon at the end of nine. And after this phrase, he's praying that ye, the Philippian believers, ye is plural, that ye may approve things that are excellent. Approve. What is approve? Approve is to like, to like something. I approve of that. If you've ever been on social media, you see the heart, you've seen the thumbs up, the like. I approve of this, right? It's, it's connected, it's related to the word prove, but it has an important distinction. So let's say uh, to, to prove is to test, to try, but to approve is to like what I've chosen. So you remember Baskin Robbins? Anybody remember that? Are they still down there, Reynolds and, and Airport? Okay, I haven't been there in years. Where, are they not there anymore? Uh, where have they gone? I don't know what happened to them, but, we, but you go in there. Uh, how about Cold Stone Creamery? Right, you go in there. People with ginormous forearms, they're working that stuff around all day, every day. And uh, they got all kinds of stuff. I think they uh, threw some sardines in there one time and this piece of bread, threw it in there, you know, move, move it up. And, uh, and what, what you do, if, you, if you're like me, you're not always sure. You got three or four different things I'm thinking about. What, I don't know, man. If I go with this, I won't be able to get that. You know, if you ever go with John Brouquet, you're going to try everything in the store. And he's going to say, I'm going to try another store. Uh, but uh, Brother John, he's great. Um, so so what, what you're doing is, if they, they hand you those little plastic spoons to make sure that you don't eat too much, right? A little tiny plastic spoon here, you can sample that. And so you sample it. That's called proving it. Testing it, you're trying it out. Do do I want? Remember, do you remember that place up in Jackson that that had the, the big ice cream parlor? Anybody remember that? Jackson, Michigan. Uh, man, that was a great place. And and I remember as a kid, they had Superman ice cream. And I don't know what it was. Anybody else remember Superman ice cream? I, I was like, you know what? I kind of feel like I'm maybe kind of becoming Superman as I eat this ice cream. You remember feeling that when you're six, seven years old? It's, it's awesome. Now, when I was younger, I didn't have to make, I, it wasn't a decision. No proving was necessary. I want Superman ice cream. That's it. I want to be Superman. But now as I get older, I, I become, you know, a little bit more cautious and eclectic in my tastes. So I want to choose the perfect ice cream. So I'm looking around, you know, chocolate, and I'm proving it. I'm trying to see. And then when I decide on the thing, when I decide on the flavor that I want, I have approved I said, I like that one. I'm going with that one. And Paul told the Thessalonians, he said, prove all things. What's the next phrase? Anybody remember? Hold fast that which is good. So the proving all things, that's the testing, the trying period. That's the, you know, the kitchen where they're, what do they call that kitchen? The test kitchen where they're trying all the different recipes and all things. And then hold fast is the approval. This is it. This is the flavor. This is what we're going with. This is how we're going to go. So he's talking about approving things that are excellent. He's not saying be snobbish. He is saying you need to go through a trial period where you're testing and, and comparing the values and the qualities, and then you are choosing that which is excellent. So what is excellent? Well, excellent means outstanding. Like X means out. Right? Excellent. And I understand excellent is something like about a tower or something like that. I don't know. 
But whenever you find the word excellent, excellence, excellency in scripture, it's talking about something that is outstanding, standing out, different, superior, something that is better, distinguished, surpassing, of great virtue or value. So approving things that are outstanding. And, and, and I think that as, as Americans, we, we certainly understand that concept. You're making a choice for something of higher quality or value. Starbucks revolutionized the daily habits of Americans by teaching them to be coffee snobs. All right? So a coffee snob is someone who deeply cares about what kind of, kind of like on a, a molecular level, uh, a spiritual soul level, they care about what kind of coffee they're drinking. I've got a list of coffee snob uh, characteristics. You want to hear them? This is how you know if you're a coffee snob. You can mark these down. You can read along with me in your book. When you hear the sound of a bring, turn the page. Here we go. Number one, you drink coffee at least once a day or more. Number two, you read and research about coffee. Origin, history, traditions, cultures, you know, people groups. Uh, number three, you're on the hunt for high-quality coffee. These are legitimate coffee snobs, okay? Number four, a barista knows your name and exact order. A barista is a person that works at a coffee shop. All right, are you, how are we doing so far? All right, they knew, they knew you, didn't they? Number five, you go out of your way to visit certain cafes or coffee shops. Uh, you know and understand coffee lingo like Arabica, uh, Robusta, Americano, Latte, Cappuccino. You basically know Italian, right? And uh, at least you know Italian as it you know, connects with coffee. Um, you know, Cafe Breve, White Flat, uh, one I had never heard of before, Geisha. Anybody heard of Geisha coffee? It's supposedly the cool kids drink Geisha coffee and... Uh, I never heard of it. And then you have the different ways of making ristretto and all this kind of stuff. And it, and it, it never ends. If you're like exactly, you're a coffee snob. Uh, here's another way, way you know. You've been to at least one cupping. Anybody been to a cupping before? It's basically a, a coffee taste test where you sit around and act like you're cooler than other people. <laughs> and drink coffee. I say that because I've never been to one. Number eight, you have a section dedicated only to coffee in your home. Uh, number nine, you have a collection of coffee supplies at home. The things that could only ever be used for one purpose, you know, and maybe you only ever use them one time, but you bought it, you have it. And uh, here's, a, here's the last one. You bring your own coffee supplies when camping or backpacking. And you might even go further. You bring your own coffee maker when you go on vacation. Because you're bound and determined, you're going to have a good cup of coffee. And as all God's people know, only you can make a good cup of coffee. So what's happened is coffee snobs no longer approve of Folgers coffee. It, it has been disapproved. It's been, you know, it used to be, we're making coffee. What is it? It's basically hot oil. We drink it, you know, tastes good. That'll make, put hair on your chest, you know. And now I don't think there's a lot of hair on the chest of the men that drink coffee. I, it's a little more light in the loafers, if you will. And uh, you're drinking mainly, mainly cream, not coffee, right? And, and if you stand like this when you drink, okay, that's a no for me, dog, right there. 
We don't, we don't go there. But, but, the, but the, you know, in the idea of personal taste of ice cream and coffee, there's, there's a lot of margin, right? There's no absolute standard. If I, if I were to tell you, your taste in ice cream or your particular brand of coffee is wrong, you would, you would bristle. Why? There's no external objective standard that determines what is good to you. Now, you can test the quality of whether the cows were fed organic grain, uh, whether or not they were penned in, whether or not they have all kinds of, you know, uh, genetically modified substances in them. And you could, you could grade it along those lines. But some of you are like, I don't give a rip. I still eat McDonald's every day. I'm going to eat whatever I want till I die. And that'll be soon. Right? And, and you don't care about the, 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 in your mind, it tastes good. And I think that's fine. You get to make your choice. You get to have whatever you want. You like that particular brand of ice cream, coffee, go for it. But when the Lord's talking about approving things that are excellent, uh, he's not talking primarily about physical things in this world. You see, there was a day in the Old Testament where there was no king in Israel, and every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And today, you'll hear Christians say, well, I know what I like. What they really mean is, I know what the world says is cool. Most of the time when someone says that. Because it's, they think that because they, and I say they, we, we're living here and swimming in the Laodicean water, when they say, I like this kind of coffee, I like this steak, you know, I like to drive this kind of car, that's my choice. And, and I know I made a good choice. I made a right choice. What happens is it, the culture around us and that concept of personal preference starts to seep into our Christian lives. And now we say, I know what I like in my walk with God. And there's a danger with that because you're not God. You don't have the ability to say this right here, this because I like it, God's okay with it. God's standard of excellence is not determined by me or by others around me. God's standard of excellence is determined by him. He's the one that sets the standard of excellence. I want you to take your Bibles and look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And look at verse number 19. First Corinthians. Go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. He says, what? What? You ever say that to somebody around you? What? The Lord said, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. I don't get to determine God's standard of excellence. In fact, I really don't even get to determine my own standard of excellence because I have been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. Be careful that we don't allow our individual Americanism, 
autonomy to sneak into our Christian life. If you're bought with a price, you're owned by God. And you belong to him. And if your conception is, oh, don't try to put me in a box. Okay, all right. Don't, don't project on God the things that other people have done to you. But if God decided to put you in a box, would that be okay? Well, I can't believe a God who would ever put me. He put people in prison. He allowed Paul and Silas to get beat up and thrown in the dungeon and had their feet fast, made fast in the stocks. He allowed Joseph to get mistreated by his brethren and then to get lied about and thrown into a dungeon himself. You see, we're bought with a price, so it's not about me getting what I want. It's about God getting what he wants in my life. Okay? Let's, uh, let's look at chapter uh, 11 of Hebrews. Go to the hall of faith, if you would. Hebrews chapter 11. And let's see, there's, we won't turn to all these verses this morning, but this one is, is important. Uh, it, it, it's very seminal in my mind to what we're talking about today. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous. Well, who says it was more excellent? God testifying of his gifts. You remember? Abel brought a lamb. He brought uh, of the, the flock. And he, he sacrificed a living animal. He shed the blood. And what did Cain do? Cain brought of the fruit of the ground. And it's often been stated, and I think rightly so, that Cain brought the things that he could produce, that he could water and sow and cultivate and provide for himself. It was his harvest, whereas Abel brought something that grew on its own. It was not anything that he could control or devise. It was a being that was living, and it was going to be his substitute. It's a picture of salvation. We don't come and bring our good works and confirmation and baptism. We rely on the shed blood of the Passover lamb, Jesus Christ. He is our sacrifice. And what kind of sacrifice was it? It was a more excellent sacrifice. More excellent. We normally wouldn't say that in English grammar. But the Lord said, I want to make sure you understand this concept. It's not just an excellent sacrifice. It's more excellent. It's better because it's according to what God wants, not according to what you want. And he said, I'm going to put my testimony behind this. That's a better sacrifice. What is excellent as far as God's concerned? What, is he be, what does he consider to be excellent? Well, he said in Psalm 36, 7, how excellent is thy loving kindness, O God. He said in Psalm 8, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. The name of God is excellent. He, he, he said even more than that, and we know, we know that according to Philippians chapter 2, where he said, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. The name of Jesus is exalted. It is an excellent name. And it's not just the saying the name. Jesus, 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 Jesus. 
right? It's not so much the name itself, although I would be careful to say it has nothing to do with the verbalizing of the name. Of course, it does. But then having an excellent name is not just, wow, that's a really nice name. It's the man that comes with the name. The excellency of Jesus Christ, his name, his reputation, his testimony is excellent. You ever put a resume together? And you sit down and write a resume and you realize, oh man, I need to kind of maybe pad this thing just a little bit. I don't think this resume is adequately displaying what I can do. So you put that, I remember when I put a resume together years and years ago, and I put things in there that were not lies, but they kind of maybe seemed like I was a little further ahead than I actually was. And, uh, and because, uh, you know, I won't give you the reasons, but that's, that's what I did. I, I put it in there. And uh, you know what's interesting? After a while, the person that received that resume began to realize that maybe some of this was not quite up to what the resume said. You know, Jesus Christ has a resume. It's, 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 it's got 66 different parts to it. And his resume is not padded at all. In fact, the world itself could not contain the resume that should be written about Jesus Christ. But these are written that you might believe. We have his written resume of what he has done. And he is, he is amazing even beyond what we can understand. His resume cannot even adequately, we could not understand what all of it means. So I want you to think about this. The, the idea that the name of Jesus Christ, the name of God, is excellent. What does that mean to me? Well, it carries weight with me. It, it, it goes beyond just saying, Glenn Campbell. Right? That's a name that some would recognize. Elvis Presley. Richard Nixon, John Denver. You start coming down the, 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 the way and you've got Oliver North, right? R Ronald Reagan, Amelia Earhart. These names are not just names. They carry a resume with them. They carry a spirit, an idea. They, they carry some type of weight a name that you've heard me use often, Michael Jordan. Amen? Um, how about Larry Bird? Some, some of you can remember, remember uh, people that, that, that used to be popular that are no longer popular. You remember some of the old, uh, uh, who, was the, who was the decathlon, uh, the decathlete, the one that uh, was Bruce Jenner, if I'm not, not mistaken. And... Uh, Wow, hear that name, that carries a connotation, doesn't it? Right? It carries a weight with it. So we're talking about something that is excellent. The name of Jesus Christ is powerful because it represents the greatest man who ever lived. In fact, it goes beyond that. It represents God in man. You know what's even more than that? Proverbs chapter 22, verse 20 said, have, have, I, have not I written unto thee excellent things in counsels and knowledge, that I might make thee know the certainty of the words of truth? 
He said, thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. You know why you know and how you know that Jesus' name is amazing? Because it says so in the Bible. Because you can read what he did, what he said. The word of God is excellent. What's your relationship with the Bible? Is the Bible something that you revere, like the Declaration of Independence, but you've never read it? Is the Bible something that that you remember from your childhood, kind of like kumbaya around the fire, but you haven't been in a relationship with it for a while? He said, I'm, I'm praying that you will approve things that are excellent. Take your Bibles and look at Romans chapter 2. Just back a little bit there in Romans chapter 2. <clears throat> Paul's writing to the Jews here. And he says in verse 17, Romans 2, 17, Behold, thou art called a Jew and restest in the law and makest thy boast of God and knowest his will and approvest the things that are more excellent, being instructed where? Out of the law. How do you know God's objective standard for excellence? It is what is written in his word. The Jews approved things that were excellent, and they could do so because they had the written record from God himself. How do you objectively prove that your favorite brand of coffee is better? You have your opinion. I have my opinion. You have what you like when you pick out colors for a house. I have what my wife likes. Amen? Why? Those are not absolute standards. Those are personal preferences that we have. But when it comes to what God considers to be excellent, believers, it's not about what the Baptists believe. It's not about what your faith tradition has upheld for decades. The the, the objective standard is the Bible. People get their shorts in a wad about all kinds of weird things that are not found in the Bible. You know why? Because they like what they like. And they want what they want. And they say, if I don't get it, I'll find a place that gives me what I want. You're not approving things that are excellent. How do I know that? Excellence is determined by means of the objective standard of the Word of God. I I tell you, uh, people saying, I just feel like God is telling me this and God is telling me that. You need to be real careful with that. You're getting real close to superstition and paganism. You're reading the tea leaves. You're you're, you're seeing signals in the smoke. You might as well go to a witch doctor. Why? If you can't find it in the Bible, stop acting like it came from God. I'm going to park right here just for a moment. Because this, I'm telling you, is a burr under my saddle. It's a burr under the saddle of the body of Christ. People are mis- they're confused about this thing of what they're saying is, God told me to do this. What they're saying is, I want to do it. That's what they're saying. I want to do it. And you can't show me in the Bible where God said, don't do it. So I am going to say, God told me to do it. Now, are you with me this morning or this afternoon, whatever time it is? Stay with me, because I, I want to I tack this. I want to tack her down real good. Okay? 
It's, it's important for you to get this. It would be better for you to throw all impressions out the window. And I'm not saying you shouldn't. I'm not saying God can't impress on your heart. I'm not saying God couldn't lead you or guide you or give you a thought. I'm saying God can do that. But it would, if you're hooked on that, it would be better for you to throw all that out, read his book and do exactly word for word what he said and stop worrying about what God's going to do to you. Stop worrying about getting out of his will if he didn't tell you to do it. Stop worrying about whether you should or shouldn't be doing it. I guarantee you this. If you were to go through the scripture and to see that this is the will of God and follow that. And then you came before the Lord of the judgment seat and he said, why didn't you do this? Lord, I tried to follow what you said. God's not going to accost you and berate you for doing that. I can guarantee you that. Yes, we have the Holy Spirit of God. But stop saying the Holy Spirit led me to do things that are not found in the scripture. Why can't you just say, I decided that I wanted to do this? Why do you have to drag God into it? God is not your genie in a bottle. You know, you pray and fast and you desire and you love. And then he comes out and he says, what what can I do for you? You know what? He's already told you what he wants you to do. Just read it and follow it. And, and I, I, I know that you're, we're worried, like, if I, if I take this job, if I date that person, if I, if I buy this car, if I wear, you know, it's always interesting. We're not focused on the things that we don't focus on. We're only focused on the one thing right here. I've got to know the will of God. What if you're completely off the beam over here and you haven't even thought about it? You haven't prayed about it. Did you pray about where, whether you should live in that house? Maybe you forgot about praying about that. Maybe you're not in the will of God. And if you're getting scared right now, you're the person I'm talking to. If God wanted you to live in a specific house, you know what he would have done to make sure that you live there? He would have written it in the Bible. Man, I can tell I'm trampling all over some venerated observances this morning. You know what that means? If you're surrendered and humble before God and you're willing to, to follow his word, I, he probably doesn't care where you live. There, I said it. Because if you're not following what he said and all of these things and everything, give thanks for this is the will of God. This is the will of God, even your sanctification. This is the will of God that you avoid fornication. You start covering those things. God is a lot freer than you think he is. You think he's worried about the fact that you, you, you put one too many creams in your coffee. Well, maybe he is. But, but what about being thankful today? He told you, be thankful. You're afraid of stepping out of God's will. He's going to smash you. If he wanted to smash you, he would have done it a long time ago. And he could do it anytime he wants to. You're actually more scared about not getting God to do everything that you want and to have your little peaceful mindset about God than you are willing to follow him into the thick of it, to follow him into the hail of bullets, if that's where he wants you to go. Stop trying to use God as your leverage to get what you really want and recognize God has a whole lot of things that I'm not even concerned about. I'm just focused on this one little thing that I've got to nail down. If I don't get this, I'll never be happy. With that mindset, you won't have peace with God. You you have peace from God, but you won't enjoy it. And so we're talking about the standard of excellence. He said, 
The Jews could approve things that were more excellent because they were instructed out of the law. As believers, what we ought to approve should not be based on what we like, but what God likes. And this may take some time. I'll give you one thing that's excellent. He, Paul called it a more excellent way. It's called charity in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's a more excellent way. You want to live an excellent life? Be a charitable person. Care about other people. Make yourself talk to them, pray for them, write notes to them. Make yourself do that. In fact, you don't have to force it in the flesh. You have to yield to the Spirit of God because He really loves those people. As you yield to the Spirit, He'll help you be more charitable. That's more excellent. Now take your Bibles and go to Colossians chapter 2. We're going to park here just for a moment. Colossians chapter 2. God wants us to enjoy living our more excellent identity. Sometimes we talk about how God is, you know, he wants us to stop sin, and of course he does. But, you know, he said he wants us to approve things that are more excellent. Approve. God has what he considers more excellent. He wants you to approve it. Do you like what God says is more excellent? Look at Colossians chapter 2, look at verse 20. Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world... Now, my best guess about rudiments of the world is lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, all that is in the world, the Bible says. If ye be dead with Christ, right? You have died in Christ on the cross. Your old nature is dead. Why, if ye be dead with Christ, why, as though living in the world, are ye subject to ordinances, rules, guidelines? Ephesians 2 tells us the law of commandments contained in ordinances, has been abolished in his flesh. You're not subject to the Old Testament guidelines and laws. Don't do this, do this, don't do that. He goes on and says, verse 21, touch not, taste not, handle not, which all are to perish with the using. He said, subject to ordinances, parenthesis, after the commandments and doctrines of men. Verse 22. He's saying, if you are dead with Christ, since Jesus Christ died on the cross and your old nature is spiritually dead, why are you living according to what you cannot do? Your walk with God is not to be based on what you can't do. You know why some of you don't, you don't enjoy your Christianity is because Christianity is a list of things that you cannot do. Well, are there things in Christianity you should not do? Absolutely. But if you are dead, why are you worried about these rules? The rules, the law were set up for lawbreakers. If the lawbreaker is dead, he doesn't care about the rules anymore. I'm not saying that God lets you do whatever you want to do, wherever and however. No, that's your old nature. But it's important that we understand this side of our walk with the Lord being dead with Christ means I don't live according to what I'm not allowed to do. I'd love to do that, but I'm a Christian. Can't do that. Can't do anything. I guess we, you know, look forward to heaven someday, right? Look what he says in verse 23. Which things, what things are you talking about? These, these ordinances, touch not, taste not, handle not. 
Which things have indeed a show of wisdom in will worship? You know why some Christians love touch not, taste not, handle not? Because it allows them to worship their self-discipline that they've always had or that they're developing. It's their willpower. They worship their own self-discipline. I will not do that. I will not go there. I will not. And I'm a better Christian because I don't do that. I'm better than all y'all. That's for sure because you do it. That's worshiping your will. What else? And humility. I see that as boot licking. Just licking someone's boots to try to look humble. Hey, brother. Good to see you. Amen, brother. Hi, sister. You know, humble. What is that? That's voluntary humility. That is me choosing to appear humble so that you think I'm humble. That's what the flesh can do. Neglecting of the body. Starving. You know, intentionally hurting yourself. Self-flagellation. Going without food, without water to prove to yourself that you can control your body. Listen, all of those things are done by religions around the world. You think you have learned to, to control your body? Go over to India and watch some of those gurus over there. Those boys are serious. When William Carey first went to India, they would take men, men would allow themselves to be, to have a hook, a sharp hook, put into the skin on their back, and then they would be lifted up by a rope and held over a fire to purify themselves. Not die, but just to purify themselves. That's, the, that's neglecting of the body. Have you gone that far? Listen, there's some people out there that are really serious. The problem with that is that is what man can do. And your walk with God is not supposed to be based on what you can do. What's the alternative? Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. If ye then be risen with Christ, he said in verse chapter 2, verse 20, if ye be dead with Christ, why are you trying to live your Christian life through control of the flesh? If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. He said, approve things that are excellent. What's that? Something that's outstanding. In excelsis Deo, we sing at Christmas time. What does that mean? Glory to God in the highest. Something that's excellent is something that is above. Something that is better. Who says who? God says. If you're dead with Christ, you have also been risen with Christ. You are not in the old days with your flesh where you're just struggling through and can't wait to get to heaven and get rid of this old nasty flesh. Hey, thank God for that. But the whole idea of going to heaven is not just getting rid of your old flesh. Christ is our life. Look at he says, look at verse, this is amazing. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead and your life is is hid with Christ in God. Approving things that are excellent means this. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. You want to know why you're struggling? You don't, you feel like you're a split personality. You don't, you don't, you you want to go this way. You want to go that way. You're up, you're down, you're back, you're forth. Why? You have an old nature and you have a new nature. 
And the old nature is consumed with the things of this world. Lust of the flesh, pride of life, lust of the eyes. All it wants is what it wants, and it wants it now. And if I can't get it now, I'm going to be mad. The new nature of Christ is complete in him. The fullness of the Godhead bodily resides in you. It sounds, even, it sounds crazy even saying it. Believer, that is what the scripture teaches. Jesus Christ is in you, and he is all things. He's been made unto you wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. He's everything that you need. You want to have a better relationship with people around you? Jesus Christ can do that. You want to be better with your finances? Jesus Christ can do that. He didn't come into your life to help you be a better you. He came to take over. He said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. You know why you have marriage problems? Because you're not letting Jesus be the spouse that you ought to be. Teach you and live that life. You You know why you have problems with your kids? Because you're not thinking about how Jesus loves this child and wants to help this child and what Jesus would say to him and how he would correct her. You're thinking about what you can do in your flesh. And what it always goes to, touch not, taste not, handle not. And they all perish with the using. Have you ever noticed that? It's your New Year's resolution that perishes because you set it. Because you set a resolution, it's going to fall away. That's what the flesh can do. You know what Christ can do? Christ can do whatever would please God. He has the power to do that. He proved that. He said... On earth, he said, I do always those things that please him. You see, approving excellent things is not me buying Gucci bags and Alan Edmonds shoes because I just have a higher quality of life than, than some, of you, some of you out there. It's not, it's not about that. And if you like those things, great. I love Alan Edmonds shoes. They're awesome. They're great. But that's not what he's talking about here. Take your Bibles and look back in Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, verse number 8. God's definition of excellence is Jesus Christ. Approving things that Jesus Christ approves of. Well, show me in the Bible where I can't. Uh, No, no, you're stuck on touch not, taste not, handle not. Show me in the Bible where Jesus, what Jesus wants to do. Look at chapter 3, verse 8. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ and be found in him. Not in a church, not in a list of rules and regulations, to be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. He can fulfill the law through me. I can't do it. He can do it. Look what he said in verse 10. Paul said, that I may know him. To win Christ is to know him. And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. The, the definition of excellence is Jesus Christ. You see, in, in, in culture, we imitate it. We say, well, look, look at that guy. He took over the company, you know, Alan Mulally at Ford. Look at what he did. He took over a struggling company and, and he 
He rose to the top. He brought them back to relevance. He brought them back to, 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 to being in the black. He, he made them profitable. And now they're inspired. You know what happens when Alan leaves? It goes back. Lee Iacocca at Chrysler. He rescued a dying auto industry. What happened when he left? It went back. You see, it's the, it's the rise and the fall of humankind. But Jesus Christ, because of the power of the resurrection, he rose never to die again. His power is in you, and he can fulfill God's plan. He can make you pleasing to God. Approving things that are excellent is not about you stopping your wickedness and finally getting figured out what you really want to do with life. It's stopping all the junk and, and starting a bunch of good stuff. It's yielding to the Spirit of God. As he said here, I count all things but loss. What's that? Everything on his resume. Hebrew, the Hebrews, Pharisee, the Pharisees, touching the law, blameless. Right? He had all of that that he had done. So much more than I have done. But he said, as far as I'm concerned, I'll put it in the shredder. Everything I've done for myself and with my own discipline and my own character and my own ideas, you can put it in the shredder. And then burn it, as far as I'm concerned. It's even more powerful than that, if you know what I mean. As far as I'm concerned, you can throw that stuff on the dung pile, because I don't care about anything except for what Jesus Christ can do through me. What can he do? Guys, this is, what, this is, this is the challenge of the Christian life, is to take the Sunday morning reality of what we know to be true in the Bible and to bring it into our Monday morning schedule. It is, it is taking the high and lofty words of God himself and following them on a daily basis and coming back and saying, Lord, I don't understand it. Well, that's too high for me. Stop dumbing down the Bible. Let Jesus Christ teach you in wisdom and knowledge. Let him encourage you and bring that love to a bounding state, overflowing with the love of God. You've got to let him do it. And you can start by approving things that are more excellent. Enjoying what Christ enjoys. Paul's praying that their love would overflow. And learning more about Jesus Christ and being more opinionated about what would please him rather than what would please the world or please myself. If I were to, if I were to say Harry Styles, opinion formed, right? Now, some of you are like, who is Harry Styles? He's just the most popular guy on every magazine in the world. I have no clue about his life whatsoever, who he is, but I know this. If you have an opinion about him, you understand what I'm trying to say about approving things that are excellent. The more opinions you have about Jesus Christ based on what he said in his word and that you have experienced, the greater your love will be for him. The more you understand about him, the more you know about him, the more you yield yourself to him, he will begin to teach you. This is not about being a, a, a Baptist or being a special forces Christian, whatever. It's about knowing Jesus and loving what he loves. When you go out to coffee with him, you're not saying, well, I'll tell you what I like, Jesus. You're saying, teach me about what you like. Lord, it's not about what I want to do with my life and what I want to wear and where I want to go and how I want to act. Lord, what do you want? I'll give you the right away. Christians want to run in and say, oh, no, no, you can't do that. You can't do that. You can't wear that. You can't go there. You can't have that. All that stuff dies out generationally. You know what never dies? The love of God in Jesus Christ. 
Jesus Christ will come in. And if you will allow him to approve things in your life and say, Lord, I want to be, I, I want to give glory to God in the highest. I, I want to have a life that is like Daniel's, a, a man with an excellent spirit who was preferred above princes, a, a man who was raised to a very high position in a secular, wicked, God-hating culture. God did that for him. How? He yielded to the standard of excellence found in the Word of God. He went through a proving process where he told the prince of the eunuchs, prove us, prove us. And you know what happened? Because they adhered to the standard of excellence that God had performed. Listen, I'm talking to you young people. I'm talking to you middle-aged people. I'm talking to you other people. You know what? You don't get to a place where you have the rules and regulations, touch not, taste not, handle not. That's not Christianity. That's religion. And you shouldn't have to have all those rules. You're dead with Christ. You need to be alive unto Jesus Christ. Will he bring holiness? Absolutely. Why? Because it pleases the Father. Will he bring separation from sin? Absolutely. Why? Because you will always do those things that please him. But it's not going to be anything you can say, I did that. You'll be able to look at God and say, God, it's so good to be close to you and walk with you and to know you. And I I had nothing to do with it. It's all you. You're so good. It's not about holding the line. It's about holding the head, which is Christ. Approve things that are excellent. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. I've got to know my Bible so I know what God says is good and what God says is evil. I've got to know what God approves of and what God disapproves of. And then I need to judge everything I hear and everything I see and imagine and feel, yes, millennials and Gen Z, everything I feel needs to be based and judged on the written word of God, not some Instagram post. What did God say about that feeling? Well, I don't think that feeling's in the Bible. Then you need to study your Bible, don't you? The things which are excellent, the things which excel nature, the things which excel carnality and excel worldliness and excel vanity, those are the things that I must approve of. Jesus is praying that ye may approve things which are excellent. My conclusion this morning is this. It's a series of questions. Do you have your own definition of excellence or do you have God's? Are you approving what you think is cool or do you approve of that which Christ enjoys? What in your life needs to be replaced with a more excellent way? I would say this, if you're here without salvation, you don't know for sure you're going to heaven. I would say you probably have something in the way that you're depending on, that you're leaning on, that you're thinking about, maybe will get you there, maybe will make it okay with God. But, but Paul warned about that. He said that the Israelites, they being ignorant of God's righteousness, have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. And they went about to establish their own righteousness. You see, an excellent way, a more excellent way is saying, God, I'm not good enough. 
I need Christ. What are you trusting in for salvation? Christian, what are you trusting in to make decisions in your life? Is it the more excellent standard of the Word of God? Or is it your own desires? Let's bow our heads this morning.